We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to Moose and Runes Podcast, episode 45. Matt, plenty to talk about today. Spring training, full swing. Uh, there's some other things as well, some Bears transactions. Uh, we closed the book on the Winter Olympics 2018. Grievance, buy, sell. The whole thing, we're back on our normal format after our full buy, sell pod last week. We hope you guys enjoyed that little change up, a little switch up as the sporting scheduling slows down, ebbs and flows here a little bit. We're ramping up. We got NBA playoffs down the pipe, only a few weeks away. Uh, a lot to talk about today, Matt. How are we doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's, it's been yeah. a nice week. I, I miss talking to you, though. I'm, I'm glad we're back on here. Let's not get emotional like or this early in the podcast, Matt. I'd rather us just keep a professional relationship. We're basically now, just so we So we can do our job. So no, I, we were basically we were basically at fifty like ten ago. So we're almost at a hundred technically. You know, forty five hundred, same thing. We should uh, send out a tweet from our Twitter account congratulating us for getting to a hundred. Yes, but like at episode ninety seven. No, episode just now. 97. Not now, now yeah. yeah, we're we're almost we'll start, halfway there. We're, we'll start teasing the hundredth episode. Yeah, exactly. Gets people going. Gets like people it. talking. Creating the buzz. Well, speaking of teases, Matt, we got a little tease this last week on the PGA Tour. We're going to open things up talking about golf. Justin Thomas wins the Honda Classic, his eighth win at the age of 24. He is setting records, winning at historic rates. He's got bags under his eyes. Looks like he needs sleep, but he still continues to get it done. couple groups ahead of him, and all weekend long you saw a competitive Tiger Woods. And I know as golf fans – and as fans of the podcast, if you are, you know that we are huge Tiger fans, and anytime we have a reason to talk about him, we get him in the show. We're leading off with it today, Matt. His odds for the Masters drastically changed after his performance at the Honda Classic, showing that he can be competitive, showing that he can put four days together, and showing that he can come out on Sunday and fire a couple birdies at it. What did yeah. you like? What did you not like? I mean, it, if it wasn't for 15... Tigers right there with the leaders pretty much the whole time that tournament is the bear trap just absolutely killed him all weekend but pretty much everywhere he was else, he was he was a he doubled that collective, on Sunday, sorry right? um yes he was a collective eight over on 15 16 17 eight under on the rest of the golf course so yeah I mean, he, I mean he, that, he, there's there's he your even par right you there you can't take out a hole because obviously you got to play that whole four days but I mean, if he just plays yeah. that one a little bit better, he couldn't really figure that one out all weekend. But if he plays that one a little bit better, he's kind of right there where he needs to be. Um, and it was mm-hmm. it, impressive for me, too, that he's now strung together back-to-back weekends of tournaments, no injury troubles, doesn't on Sunday you know, of this weekend when he's played so many rounds in so many days, competitively mm-hmm. walking the course and all that stuff. He wasn't really showing signs of slowing down. Um, he was competitive really till the end. I think he birdied one of the last couple holes there, too, and almost got that top 10 finish, but not quite. I loved what I saw from Tiger this weekend with the exception of one hole pretty much throughout the entire weekend. Yeah, I think that it's my favorite thing that I saw, and it's really important to note that not only is the body in good shape and he's swinging the club and he looks to be swinging free and he can really go after it. I think he had some crazy club head speeds they were tracking, so he's feeling good physically. Not only that, mentally he's back to where, I'm not going to say like peak Tiger because it'll never be that. That was a... 
that was an anomaly. That was someone who was mentally superior to everyone on the course. But he he mentally believes in himself again after his Saturday round. I think he finished and he was six or seven back of the lead. And he came out and said, I gave myself a shot. I put myself in position to make a run at it. I need to go fire a 63. He had a number in his head. He knew what he had to do. He obviously didn't do that. But he has the confidence in himself and in his game again to come out and say, this is the number I need. You know, I gave myself a chance, not, oh, let's go out there and see what happens. He's he's hunting again. He's back. He's back trying to win tournaments and has the confidence in himself that he's in a position to do so. I think that's a big step, too. And, you know, it's weird because we can see this confidence. You can sense this confidence from the, from the way he's kind of interact. Not the way, not only the way he talks, you know, like he did in interviews, you know, setting that goal and stuff, but the way he's out there on the course and his mm-hmm. attitude. But all, it's, it's completely different from the way we used to tell he was confident in the past before, you know, the injury and all that stuff where he was – you know, in his own little zone, wasn't talking to anybody, wasn't really smiling. He was just kind of in his own area. Now you can kind of tell he's confident by the way he's just loose on the course. He's not afraid to smile at another, you know, the guy he's playing with, give him a little bit of a, encouragement after big putt, something like that. And for me, it's just, it's interesting to have seen that complete 180 in mentality, mm-hmm. or uh, if, if for yep. lack of a better word, maybe mentality, but also have that same mentality show that now he's completely confident. Yeah, everything in Tiger's game, in Tiger's dominance was tight. His personality, the game, the swing, everything was razor sharp and you couldn't come near it. He was not a very approachable person. And I think that this fall from grace over the last decade, last eight years, whatever you want to call it, the ebbs and flows, the... You're really loving ebbs and the, flows today. Uh, yeah, I apologize. I it's okay. That no, it's okay. I said that. But the the roller coaster that's been because he's had some peaks back in 2015. He had a couple of nice rounds. Um, what was it? The 20, the Masters when he hit the pin. Yeah, he was right there. Kind of and sunk then, him on Saturday, 2013, whatever that was. But there's been some high points, and then he's always fallen from that. He's always come back because he's been trying to do it the same way he did it for the first 15 years of his career, tight and and unwelcome of either questions unwelcoming of his competitors, but Elfham Grace has really softened him and hopefully he can learn to win as this. And I'm not trying to say this to be, you know, disrespectful, but a, he's a softer, more approachable character now. I don't know if you saw Justin Thomas's uh, post-round interview, but he was saying how, you know, during the time that Tiger was away from the game and, and JT was having a really good year last year, Saturday night, he'd always get a text from Tiger when he was in contention. Just a little nugget, focus on this, good luck tomorrow, something get him into that next round, and you know, hey, my idol's texting me, this is a good thing. Said he was waiting for that text on Saturday night this week and had crickets from Tiger. So Tiger is back in a competitive space, and um, I think he could still have fun, but be back in that competitive space. It's an exciting time. You know, it's funny you brought that up because I was that was going to be my next talking point was about how, you know, even though he is this newer, you know, a little bit more relaxed uh, Tiger, he still does have that competitive edge and that, you know, he's competing this Sunday. He's not going out out of his way to try and help or encourage anybody because he wants to go and win. I thought that was mm-hmm. showing that, you'd, like you kind of said, even though he has changed a little bit and he's a little bit more, you know, free and a little bit more open, a little bit more smiling, I think on the golf course he still does have that, uh, you know, killer mentality, that competitive edge in, in his own head. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just it's good to have him back in a position where at least we can get excited about him going into the Masters. So and have you have you been be on his Masters? To see what sort of schedule? I have not because it's a terrible idea. But, um, <laughs> no, it's not. I, I just. <laughs> I'm just happy that we can get excited about it, and I'm really interested to see what he does with these next four weeks because he does need to play again at least once or twice. Yeah, it sounded like be... in his post-round interview that he's going to take a couple weeks off, and then um, he'll probably be back for Bay Hill. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's at least what it sounded like when he was talking. That he didn't commit really to anything, but you know he's going to play at Bay Hill. He always plays at Bay Hill. He loves that course. Um, I, I think you're going to probably see him take a couple weeks off there do his own thing, kind of work out a little bit, work on his own stuff, and then come back for Bay Hill and then gear up for Augusta. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a good time for Tiger, and it's it's a good time for Justin Thomas right now too because every year a different guy sort of emerges as the perennial number one, and we've stopped comparing to Tiger. We've stopped saying, oh, is this going to be the next dominant streak? No, this is, this is Justin Thomas's yeah. window, I think. Do, do and, it for five or six years other guys talk. Yeah, there's other guys' windows who are open right now, too, but he's the guy to beat. Last year, he was the guy to beat. Year before that, DJ's the guy to beat. Year before that, Jason Day. Year before that, I think you're back in your Rory McIlroy-type mm-hmm. dominance. So these guys have these year-long windows, two-year-long windows. Not to say that Justin's going to fall off or that Dustin has fall, fallen off at all, but uh, JT seems to be number one, He and I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to win and at some point this you see him at world number one in the official golf ranking. It, do you know where he's at right now? He's got to be climbing up near the top. I know he's number one in the FedEx. Three, he won the FedEx, two, yeah, he won the FedEx last year. I think he's top. in the top of the standings now this year, but I, I'm with you. He is just, it seems like every tournament you tune into, he's in, he's finishing top five near the top 10, near like the lead. And some of those shots yeah. that he hit down the stretch, I mean, he was just, he doesn't show any signs of fear in the face of pressure or anything. It almost seems like he, he elevates his game to it. And selfishly, yeah, and I'm kind he, of excited to see him on a Ryder Cup team in a, in a hostile, in a hostile European environment this year. He seems like the kind of villainish type guy who's going to thrive on the negative mm-hmm. um, encouragement mm-hmm. rather than the positive and have no problem sticking it to some, some fans when yeah, he gets a big there's shot. A little, there's a little nasty streak in him, and, and I think that's good for the game, too, that it's not all... Golf needs know, a villain. Does all yeah, great it's sports not all need a villain? Surfboards on rainbows, and not to say that he's the villain, but uh, he he took a step in that direction a little bit this week, having a guy kicked out of the tournament. And I know you wanted to touch on that, but I, mean, I had like, no, I had I had no problem with. Come it. on, I, I really come I really on. Had no well, why is it? Why can't? It wasn't heckling. It wasn't during his backswing. He just yelled, "Get in the bunker when the ball's rolling." So what? He had a guy rooting against you. It happens. It happens in every other yeah, sport. Why is but, golf so special? I love golf. It's it's the only game I can still golf, play. But why can't you root for Kevin? Why can't you? I, if I'm rooting for Luke List or I'm a Luke that. List fan, you're in that final group. I want Justin's ball to get in the bunker. It's not like he ran out on the course or like snapped a picture in a backswing or yelled that in his backswing. He just yelled it when the ball was rolling. You don't kick him out. Hey, John Lewis got kicked out of the Ryder Cup for far less, and that's a story for another day because it needs a full 30 minutes to be told. I'm going to go out on a limb and say John Lewis did a lot more than maybe just that one. (laughs) He did not. He did not. John Lewis cleared his throat as, who was it, on the European team? I forget who it was. It might have been Poulter. He cleared his throat as everyone was quieting down. It wasn't even fully quiet yet. Ian Poulter is standing behind the ball, starting to walk towards the ball, clears his throat. 
And after he hits the ball, Ian Poulter and Webb Simpson turn around, point right at John Lewis. They not only kicked him out, but they walked him under the ropes. So he was on the opposite side of the tee box that he needed to be. Security took him under the ropes. He gave a full hat tip because everyone was booing that they were making him leave. Everyone was yelling, oh, come on. Like, how are you kicking him out? And he starts, he gives the hat tip. The crowd goes crazy. Uh, he he used the moment, no doubt. But what my, my point is, did he know where he was at the moment? Tournament? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. And uh, he was with Brian Sen, our buddy, as well. So Brian had to leave the tournament. He was not happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he used the ride home. So uh, it was uh, my, just my point being that you can get kicked out of a golf tournament for anything, and there is a certain decorum. There's a certain t- way you should carry yourself. It's one thing for Justin Thomas to hit his drive and someone yell, come on, Tiger. You know, they're always yelling, come on, Tiger, after everyone shots. That's fine. That's how you root against someone in golf. You root for someone by rooting, or you root against someone by rooting for someone. You don't yell, get in the bunker. And that's an elite athlete, and he's operating at his peak. He is in full go. I'm not holding anything against but, Justin Thomas like, in this situation. How does, how does that what 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 the, the Ryder Cup incident you brought up? Sure, I, I what, from what it sounds like, it's absolutely bogus that he was you know kicked out and removed and all that. But that one, I, I'm not saying I can understand it because I, I can't. I would mm-hmm. never have done that if I was the golfer. But at the same time, like Poulter was in his setup and maybe it was, did something in his own brain, which I'm not, again not justifying. But like he was, he was setting up to the ball, walking up to it, and maybe that interfered with what he was trying to do, his, his pre-shot routine, whatever. Exactly. This was in after, his own mind, this in his own after, game. This was after Justin Thomas hit the ball. Yeah, he already picked I up his tee and he was walking. Like th- He was just walking. Did he affect his walk? He striped ball in the middle of the fairway, 300-whatever yards. Like that, that should be your revenge. You turn around and say, to, you know, look at the guy and say, I don't think that's going in there. That's all you can do. Diff- you don't different take the dude tournaments, out. Yeah, different uh, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. I in this because well, we're, in, cause we're at West Palm Beach, the guy's got to be a little bit more classy. And exactly, out and exactly. You're not at the Waste Management Open. There are different reverences that each tournament requires. You're going to treat the Masters different than you treat the Farmers Insurance Open. You, you can, you know, you, no, you treat the you treat the majors differently, but those other four, those four are special. Other than are that, you getting into? Are we getting into the unwritten rules now? I the unwritten th- rules of golf. There's too many unwritten. Like the unwritten rules, rules of, of baseball. There's too many unwritten uh, rules. Somebody needs to write them. No, down. there's too many. There's too many written rules of golf. That's, That's also awesome. true. Golf just has too many rules in general. <laughs> just trying to use my foot wedge here. Joe, but, how's, the, how's the game out there, by the way? I, I'd imagine you're probably playing a little bit more, getting some getting some swings in during. The you day know, we've been a little we've been a little busy with work. Uh, I've hit the range a few times. I've gotten two rounds under my belt. The game looks great. I'm ready to take your money. It's yeah. it's completely fine. Well, that yeah. wasn't even going there. I was just asking how the games. I'm just asking you know how you're doing, and you want to go taking my things money. are good. Okay, just well, knowing good. that I have, I'm just happy knowing that I have the option to play golf twelve months around is, uh, is twelve is twelve months nice, around, you know? Joe. Twelve months, twelve months around, twelve months straight, twelve months yeah, year round. Year yeah, round. Yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying there. I just like when you make a rare, eloquent mistake. I like calling it out because it happens yeah, very rarely. It, and it happens. happens for me quite often. It happens. All right, Matt. Um, we're not going to do it just yet, but do you have? I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask for your master's um, picks yet, obviously. But do you have Tiger Woods making the cut right now at the Masters? Yes, um, I think he. Yeah. Uh, from what we've talked about since day one he teed up at the Bahamas 
Um, mm-hmm. He is doing everything he does. Everything he does to prepare to get himself ready is with Augusta in mind. And I, I don't see Tiger coming out and laying an egg on the you know the biggest stage because he's never mm-hmm. really done that. Especially there, the course that he loves probably more than any in the world, and that he's played pretty pretty well at every time for the most part. He's been there. I, of course, I think he's going to make the cut. Whether he's going to be in contention, I, I'm not really sure, but. I would be very, very surprised if we don't have Tiger on the weekend at Augusta. It'd be great for the game. It'd be great for Tiger. And I think we should be in full-on flight tracker mode right now because not only do I think Tiger needs to play a couple weeks between now and the Masters, I think he needs to get his butt down to Augusta and get out there and see how the greens are rolling. And, you know, Tiger can get around at Augusta with, you know any IBM CEO? He he can get out there. You know, probably get not. He look just at by himself. He's he's a, he's he's a master champion. It. Can he get on whenever? Yeah. Do Masters champions get full membership? Is that how it works? You I'm know, not he's sure Tiger the, Woods, so I'm pretty yeah. sure he he's can got, do whatever the he's hell got he wants a locker. He's got a locker. Let him go at least putt on the like. Let him hey, go hey, work. Billy, I'm going to come play 18 tomorrow. Make sure my locker's clear. I think that's that's but, probably but, about all he needs to do. Billy Payne says he can come play whenever he wants, but Billy Payne has to follow him and announce him at every tee. Thanks. Welcome to the 75th playing of just Tiger Woods. And I love that. Everyone claps. I play better. Yeah, no? Yeah. Oh, but so, so, so the Masters gets all the reverence in the world, but the Honda Classic, yes. because it's Honda? What yes. if it was the Mercedes-Benz Open? Matt, that, it, does it get reverence? No. The Masters, Joe. It's the Masters. Because we're talking about because we're talking about mid-sized cars here. It's an issue. No. What 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 are you talking about? Mid-sized cars. Honda makes all three types. <laughs> I know. I just think of the Civic. Well, you we've right. got we've gotten off the rails way too early here, Matt. Yeah, a little bit. We're only eighteen minutes in here, Joe. Reel yourself back in. We'll get off the rails at all the right. end of the podcast like normal. All right. Let's jump back on it here. Let's switch topics. Let's please go don't make training. me scold you again. I don't we like got, doing uh, we got about four or five games a team under our belts here in spring training. Sox already snake-bitten by a bit of injury issues. You got Jake Berger, torn Achilles yesterday, I believe that was. Yeah, they, they made it. A, they officially confirmed that it is torn today, I believe I saw. So that's that's at least 12 months there with an Achilles. Yeah, that's tough that's still one of the Especially for a bigger guy one like, of the worst. like Jake is. Yeah. That's uh, that's a life changer, and uh, Rodolfo's dealing with an elbow. You said correct. Adolfo, Mick or Adolfo? Come on, Joe. Adolfo, come on, Adolfo, come on. Adolfo's <laughs> dealing with an Achilles. Yeah, you know, he's dealing with the elbow. Uh, but they they said that he's going to. They don't think he's going to miss any time. They are just going to strictly have him on a DH plan this entire season, and then I think take care of the mm-hmm. uh, the elbow tendons and stuff in the off season. But it's a tough tough couple weeks here for Sox fans. I don't think either of those guys were expected to be up this year. Maybe Adolfo mm-hmm. towards the end if you know everything went well, but Jake Berger I think it was still a couple years away. So I mean if, if these guys not that an Achilles is an injury that everybody goes through, some more like an elbow where you know half the league ends up hurting their elbow at some point. I mean if these guys are going to get hurt, I'd rather it all be now than you know spring of twenty twenty when hopefully this team's getting ready to compete for a World Series when these guys are you know hopefully hitting three and four in Double A and, and Single A rather than hitting you know three and four in a major league lineup. Yeah, just trying to uh, just trying to look on the bright side here, Joe. Yeah, I know you're trying to spin it, but there's no good time to get injured. If you got guys get injured during spring training, that usually means the off season didn't go how it should have. You yeah, know, true. it usually means that guys are coming in unprepared. Guy that looks uh, fully prepared for baseball activities is uh, Kopech, and then um, Tim Anderson is having himself Rob- a hell of a spring. By the way, 
I, I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but are we saying now, forgive me again here. Okay. It's, we're just going with Robert, right? We decided it's Robert. We right? there. Robert, I believe, is the one way you're not supposed to pronounce it, but we already declared ourselves okay. a Luis Robert podcast, so I can't really go back. Or a Luis Robert podcast. He, okay. He's Luis Robert, so that's it. We've we've declared ourselves. I can't but, go back on it now. But if we were to be factual, Robert uh, or Robert, without like just silent T at the end, Robert, yeah. as in like the Hamburglar, yes. Robert. Well, no, that's okay. a burglar. Well, he looks like Marcus Pete. He looks like a defensive back. He uh, is, I've seen a couple pictures of him. Jumped on his Instagram. <laughs> he's got Jesus. shoulders. He's got he's got traps for dance, and I'm excited to see what he can do. I, from from a couple of people I've seen down there, they pretty much all say that if you're building uh, and just an athlete, you know the the perfect athlete mm-hmm. that is you know Luis Luis Robert is it, and that has. Mm-hmm. May may or may not transfer onto the baseball field. Who knows? I mean, obviously, hitting doesn't necessarily have to do with being a great athlete or not. But from a pure athleticism standpoint, people are saying it doesn't really get much better than Luis Robert. Granted, people said the same thing about Jorge Soler, and that didn't really work out on the north side. But we can yep. uh, we, we we can see here. Exactly. Hopefully, he's not a little bit too big or, or whatever. But he seems like he's going to be the real deal as well. Isn't everybody just going to be the real yeah, deal on the White Sox show? I guess so. I guess so. And you, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but some Josh Beckett comparison came out. Came out. I think it was yesterday for Kopech. I'll take and, Josh Beckett. Uh, I think it's we're, we're we're getting out ahead of ourselves a little bit, but uh, overpowering stuff is what it looks like from uh, from the kid. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be tough to not have sky high expectations for these guys, um, just because you it, mm-hmm. similar to what happened when the Cubs started bringing their guys up. They just been. It's all the the team and the fans have really had to talk about for so long that we're going to overvalue, kind of overtout these guys yep. in our heads, and just expect superstar to right up. Um, but I, I think if we can all understand that it's going to be a slow burn for these guys, even when they come up, that they're probably not all going to dominate right away. I think Lucas Giolito was kind of a nice example of that. He struggled at least a little bit coming up, and even with the Nationals. But by the end of the season, he was probably the Sox' most consistent pitcher. So just giving these guys some time, but. It's going to be fun to watch them all start coming up. I think you're going to start seeing, for the most part, a good amount of them start coming up this year because I do think a lot of them are going to force the issue down in the minors. Yeah, and no matter if they come up early, late, whenever they come up uh, on schedule, prior to schedule, behind schedule, I think whoever's up with the big league club this year, the first 40 games of this season are super important. I think that you, you can't put too much pressure on the guys to come out of the gate hot, but... You need to put yourself in a position where you're not questioning if you're a buyer or seller at the at the deadline. You want to get into the break at least close to 500, right? You got to start setting expectations, or you know you get in schedule with a rebuild. You need to. You're in that. We're kind of in that year of a rebuild where it's you expect an uptick. Yesterday, last year, maybe you felt a little above schedule. I think that you can or if you could fall victim to feeling behind schedule this season, they don't get out to a decent start. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, and I, I I do expect them to get out to a pretty good start, have a pretty decent first half, but I, I think they'll kind of be right there in the middle of that second wild card race. And I think that's mm-hmm. also when Rick Hahn is going to see an opportunity to sell some pretty valuable bullpen arms. Um, because I think he knows that while he does want to see an uptick this year, he wants to see that from the younger guys. And if he has an opportunity to, to trade guys like Joachim Soria, 
uh, who are coming out of the bullpen who are a little bit older who might not have you know that much more longevity, might not be here in a couple years when it matters. If he can get a couple more prospects to, to get some depth in the farm, I don't think he's going to shy away from doing that. I think this might be the last year where they're doing that, where they're kind of looking to still add some some more younger pieces, some depth to the organization. But I'm with you. I think in this first half of the season, you kind of want to see that next step, especially in a weaker AL Central outside of Cleveland. I mean, the Tigers are in rebuild mode. The Royals seem like they've lost everybody. The Twins are, they're they're going to be a solid team, but I'm not sure you're going to see them take another great step forward either. It's a very wide open and, and gettable AL Central this year, and that's where the Sox have always struggled in the past is winning games within the division. So I think you need to look out for that early on. That is a good note, Matthew. And if you can't Thank win division games, uh, seldomly, seldomly are you going to see postseason play. So uh, it should be an exciting season, and it's going to be an exciting uh, couple weeks here at spring training. I'm actually heading down to uh, the Scottsdale Mesa areas to cover a little Giants and A's uh, tomorrow, hitting the road. So I will have a full spring training report for you in Moose and Runes episode 46. Oh, well, we're certainly looking forward to that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's can't miss stuff there. Oh, yeah. You, know, you, you tease that. You sell. You talk to sales this week. You tell them to get that out there. Maybe yeah. run a couple promos, listenership through the roof next week. You realize I am sales, right? Yeah. So yeah, okay. Just talk to your guy. I'll, I'll talk to myself. <laughs> uh, on the other side of town, there's obviously um, high expectations, needless to say. Uh, Did you know Kyle Schwarber lost name weight? signings. Kyle Schwarber has been eating chicken breast and broccoli rob. Nothing but it is what I'm told. Found and a treadmill looking too. Svelte. He found a treadmill. He's looking. Uh, he's looking like a just like a like John Daly off the sauce. You know, he's looking oh, good. We all, we looking all know bad. how that worked out. <laughs> but uh, Schwarbino's lost some weight, and the entire NL should be shaking in their boots apparently. And uh, as of a couple hours ago, John Lester was named opening day starter. That's all I really have for you on the Cubs front. Because I think when you're a team that knows who you are, spring training tends yeah. to feel spring like spring training is irrelevant. Honestly, you, you want to get exactly. out of it. Exactly. If you get it out of spring to training, feel like something that that's be between you. Yeah, it, it's just something that's between you and opening day, and I feel like that's what it is for the Cubs right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean they don't have as much uh, to figure out. There's not on, many like big front. name prospects for them for the most part that you're really like, looking out for. Their roster for the most part is pretty set. And you're just kind of hoping those big names don't mm-hmm. get hurt. I mean, we've seen players on big name players on both sides of town the past you know ten years or whatever have awful springs and then come back and have you know very good regular seasons. So spring doesn't really mean anything for these guys when you're that good as long as you stick, come out alive, you know, get healthy and all that good stuff. So they, I'd like to talk about some Cubs stuff, but. W- with their stuff in the spring, there's just there's really nothing. It's it's I, let's I got, get to the field in April and let's see you. what we got. Sure. Yeah, I got a Cubs question for you here. Of the entire roster, who do you think during spring training plays the most rounds of golf? We've been very golf centric today. Ooh. Who's getting the most swings in? Because I know these pitchers. It's, it's 36, 18 before the game, 18 after the game. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be one of the pitchers. I'd probably go with you got to go to the pitching staff, yeah. Probably go with the John Lester. Lester. He, he's, he's, he knows his, yeah. his routine by now. Um, he he kind of knows he's, he's got it down. Spring training. He's got it down. He, he gets up in the morning, he goes, hits 18, gets his workout in, you know, does what he has to do, and then get a late afternoon round in. Those veterans who kind of know their, round, their, their bodies, know their arms and all that stuff, I would imagine would be the guys who would know when they can fit golf into the schedule. So I'm going to go with John Lester. 
It's a hard-hitting Cubs question for all you Cubs it fans is. out there. We hope it's you probably that. the biggest news going on in Cubs spring training right now. Who's on the golf course? The most? John Lester. John Lester plays golf. That's the uh, now. If you're if you're a hitter, if you're if you're, a, if you're you know a batter or whatever, if you're a position player, are you playing a lot mm-hmm. of golf in the spring? Because that golf swing, I know you've been, you know, doing the baseball swing for your entire life. And you kind of got it down yeah. to the tee, but they say the golf swing and the baseball swing, you know, can screw each other up a little bit. So you risking that golf swing to to either. To screw with the baseball swing, or vice versa. Which one's worse? Do you want your golf swing? I think you gotta. Be, I think you gotta be careful with that. And I was, I remember as a, you know, as a little leaguer, to compare my career to these professionals, I always tried to steer clear of it because I felt awkward in there. Just the the transfer of weight from the front foot to back foot, wanting to stay on your back foot, whatever it may be. These guys are professional athletes. We're talking about here, and I don't think there's many scratch golfers out there on on any of these rosters. And I think the scratch golfers are the pitchers because, you know, they, they can for. focus on that swing. So I think you have a lot of casual golfers uh, in your, on your pushing players. How'd that little league career work out for you? Um, it was big time. Yeah. yeah. Real big time. A lot of, a lot of great, a uh, lot of great team photos, a uh, lot of stolen bases, a mm. lot of stolen bases. Were you an outfielder? Um, center field? Patrol and center? Tournament teams. Uh, no, I actually grew up uh, catching. Okay. So, to give you a peek into the Elmwood Park uh, little league scene, Mike Falsetti and Joe Musso; those were the those were the two those big, the big names. catchers in the yeah. league. So when you got to the tournament team, I did end up playing a little third base, a lot field because Falsetti was obviously our catcher. But yeah. uh, Joe yeah, and I played, the hot played corner, a lot, huh? lot of catcher growing up. Yeah, little yeah. yeah, just don't hit it to me. I, I yeah, hated exactly. I hate infield. I hate infield. You you never struck uh, me no, as either, Joe. I think I think if someone asked me right now, it's like you could go for a ten mile run or field twenty grounders. Like it's gonna hit you twenty fungo grounders. I'd go for the ten mile run. I know I'd wear at least two on my teeth. I used to uh, when no, I played when I played uh, some of those you know travel ball early. I think it was late grade school, early high school. The the coach of the team was my dad, and my brothers helped out. You know, <laughs> assisting him. I played first and he base. Show any nepotism, so he I, was bringing I, bringing the heat at you. Probably, I, I would play first base, and either, either usually it was Mike who was in, in hitting infield, and like you know, hit first is always the last <laughs> one to get infield. You know, third would get a nice easy one. Short, you're standing out there alone. Second already would get in a dugout, dribbler, <laughs> and then Mike would just absolutely rocket baseballs at me, and I would get so <laughs> just mad. short hop. Yeah, uh. he, he, he would figure out how to perfectly place. You know line drive short hops that come up at me and then I get yelled at if I miss a ground. I'm like, Mike's hitting them as hard as possible. Okay? It's not that easy. Sorry. Well, this sounds like something for your therapist and not Sorry. for your podcast partner. Th- that's so not you, what the, you know, this you is write, that. This write, is, write that down. Write down and, and do podcast what you need to do is with basically it. a therapy session, Joe. It's a sports <laughs> therapy session for the both of us. We just basically vent to each other well, about topics. I haven't seen any of those checks yet, so you let me know, and then we'll start calling it therapy. Well, Maybe Joe Musso, MD. Okay. Checkbook works both ways, Joe. All right, that's fair. Let's jump forward here. Some other uh, preseason, postseason, whatever you want to call it. I'm calling it the preseason already because I need football in my life. We're Thank officially you. in the NFL preseason. It's NFL preseason. Um, that means it's right around the corner. NFL, technically, it's NFL preseason. Yeah, Bears, okay. uh, right around transactions. The Couple transactions over the next last ten days. Uh, Josh Sitton and Pernell McPhee both released. I know when we were talking prior to the podcast, Matt, you said you know Pernell McPhee. People kind of saw that one coming, but Josh Sitton definitely a bit of a surprise here. Um, Bears opening up substantial amounts of cap space. They're going to have one of the best cap situations in the league, and 
that leads me to believe they're going to go get somebody. Obviously, the Jarvis Landry sweepstakes didn't go the way you wanted them to. I believe he got franchised. He got in Miami. tagged, but the but Miami's not a hundred percent. They're not opposed to moving him if the right deal came along as well, because I don't think so they think not, they're going to sign him long term. So I think yeah. there was more of a tag to ensure they don't lose him for nothing. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see. So it's them not the, the book's him. not closed on Juice. No, um, I would not give up on that one yet. There's got to be a big get. There's got to be a big name with all of this cap space that they're opening. You've got to be opening the cap space for somebody. So, so my this it, I don't know if you're going to call this a big get, um, but I, I think it is the he's, he's the top offensive lineman on the market. And I think with Josh sitting being cut and freeing up that money, I think Andrew Nor- Norwell, the guard out of Carolina, who's been a couple time Pro Bowler, mm-hmm. uh, might be their target. Um, I. I I like Quentin Nelson a lot. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be there at eight because there are some teams with offensive line needs at him. I, I think he probably ends up in Tampa. Um, and I, I think you do need to add an impact interior offensive lineman if, if that, uh, at, with Kyle Long's unhealthiness or you know uncertainty uh, w- with his health. I think he's mm-hmm. going to be back fine, but he's kind of become a player that you never really know week to week what he's going to be able to, to give you or if he's going to you know come out of it healthy. So I th- I th- you need to add an impact interior lineman. I think that's the that is the best one on the market by far, and I, I think Ryan yeah. Pace will go out and get that guy because he's probably going to command around eleven or ten. Sitton was getting around eight or nine, so that's not that much of a difference for a guy who's younger and probably a little bit better. Uh, and for me, that's the only reason you'd cut a Josh Sitton because he still only had one year left on the deal. The cap space wasn't bad. I mean, they still had a lot of room, and, and he was a very consistent presence on the interior of that offensive line, so that it tells me they think Kyle Long's going to come back perfectly healthy, or they have you know another option that they feel very confident about. Yeah, and I think it doesn't need to be a home run in the grand scheme of things in like league-wide acquisitions because seldom are you going to hear a big name offensive lineman. You know, the, those things don't even hit, yeah, they hit unless, the wires. They don't hit unless the you're left, I mean, the so left tackles I, won't be – that franchise yeah. changing left tackle is never going to hit the market. So, yeah, th- that yeah, would Joe be – Joe Thomas isn't – yeah. 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 They, they don't grow on trees. But that this is the type of signing that – if it's going to put the Bears in a better position than that, then yes, this is your home run. This is the Bears' home run. Yes, you do need to go get a wide receiver. You do need to do things in the draft. But I'm hell-bent on this offensive line. Whatever you need to do to make this offensive line durable, do it. Because you talk about the chemistry between quarterback and receiver or quarterback and running back or the chemistry between your safeties or your first level and second level the chemistry between offensive linemen is so important, and I'd be interested to see how many different combinations of offensive lines they it, had last year. The Chicago Bears. Absolutely, how many different guys played offensive line? You're, you're absolutely. You, can, spot you can't on. run. It it, it's hard to run. It's, certain schemes. You, you know, can't run op- trap if you don't know the guy next to you. Like you yeah, can't it, it, run certain things. You know the bear. The Bears love running. You know inside zone schemes, outside zone schemes, those gap schemes where you know certain. You know, plays like power counter, it's whatever. All it's cut and dry, where you know you're blocking down somebody's pulling around. But these zone schemes, like you're you're working on double teams up to back, or you got to know like who's coming over to take over your guy when you're kind of going up. So it, if you yeah. haven't blocked with a certain guy that often, you might be hesitant to leave a little guy. You know, leave your guy when you're supposed to. Maybe you hang on a little bit earlier. Linebackers able to shoot the gap, make a tackle. It, it means a lot to these guys to play together, play the same five, get to know the guy to the left and the right of you. 
then it absolutely makes a big difference. You know, the, the same five, maybe with a sixth kind of rotating lineman where you kind of play a utility type person that can play most of the spots. Mm-hmm. But it, it absolutely makes a huge difference. I'm glad you brought up that point because it's 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 on par to me with receiver quarterback chemistry. That's now, how, that is how it didn't have to do that. I was just, you didn't have to do that. I was just about to say, how proud are you that I brought up some sympathy Joe, for, I'm not for the guys down in the trenches for the relationship. And you had to equate it. What, what are you talking about? You had about? to equate it to hitting a guy in stride 45 yards down. I, I absolutely do think it is because I think you need to be able to communicate and you need to know the guy. Next, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm saying they are equally important because if I don't know the guy next to me and I can't, I, I'm not 100% certain he's going to be there or he, he knows what he's doing in pass protection, that's going to affect me. And if that affects me, that affects You're, him and that affects the quarterback getting the right protection. And without that you're mansplaining, Matt. You're o- you're O line splaining. Yeah, right you're, you're you're damn That's right, I am because I played it forever and you didn't. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> no. I know, but quarterback chemistry isn't important, Joe. I'm just saying that I know. That's how important to me offensive line chemistry is. Yes, and and you only build that through repetition. I completely agree with you there. And you got to get a, a core group of guys out there that are comfortable playing with each other that can not only run these schemes, but when you're talking about pass protection, there's a lot of unspoken and spoken communication that goes on that, that doesn't just happen overnight. So I think mm-hmm. uh, solidifying that group up is definitely something that needs to get done over the next few months. I, I, I totally agree, and that's I don't have a doubt that they're going to because they cut Josh Sitton. That means to me, like I said, that they have definitely somewhat of a plan in place here, but I'm just very curious to see what that plan is because Josh Sitton – I know he's 31 now, but that's that's a pretty known commodity at guard. He's a multi-time Pro Bowler. He, you know exactly what you have. Yeah. It's a guy who's given you 14, 15 games a year. He's also a captain for him this year, so obviously that meant something. He meant something to the guys in that locker room. So it'll be interesting to see. But that's now I think three of the captains from last year are, are now gone with with Demps, uh, Glennon. Obviously Glennon was going anyway. McPhee. So who cares? But was McPhee a captain as well? He was. So then, they, um, yeah, while then he that, was on the field, he was so then that, I mean, that's four of them. McPhee was well. He didn't produce on the field. What they hope was a great locker room guy. So th- that's yeah. Th- they're doing an overall here. It'll be interesting guy. to see uh, you know <laughs> what they do to address those. Yeah, and uh, I haven't been, I haven't been turned off. I haven't been completely angered in enraged by anything that they've done yet. So well, that's good. And, and, the NFL draft's coming up, so give it time. I guess. Look where we've look how far we've um, come, and just you know, not even here. Forty five <laughs> short podcasts. We started this whole thing goodness. with you screaming at me at the top of your lungs about how this franchise is going nowhere, and look where we are now, Joe. You're not even mad anymore. Yeah, it's yet to be seen. It's yet to be seen, Matt. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna skate right into your wheel. Ooh, we're uh, here, if you will. Uh, a little bit of hockey to talk about, a move by the Hawks. But first, let's talk about that gold medal game. I know it's almost a week old now, but uh, it was fantastic, the the women's gold medal game between the U.S. and Canada. Uh, I, again, we'll have the conversation that everyone had. I hate the fact that it goes to a shootout, but it also did give us a chance to see a fantastic move, a couple great ops on the other end. And uh, I guess my main question for you, Matt, coming out of this gold medal game, sure. were you in any way rooting against Phil Kessel's sister? No, not, I like Phil Kessel. I don't get why Phil Kessel's hilarious to me. But I, guess, oh, I hate Phil Kessel. I love I Phil. Phil What's Kessel. Hate about Phil and Kessel? I almost, I almost felt myself rooting against his sister, even though it was, she was on the United States. What's there to hate if, about like, Phil Kessel? Just, 
uh, his face. His face. He's, he's got a punch in that we, face, but he seems like a fun guy. He uh, he, he seems to take the uh, the Kessel jokes in stride pretty well. Uh, as well, and yeah. I, I guess I always I respect the fact that he looks like he shouldn't be playing any sports, I and mean, he is just a world class athlete. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one was, thing that I do like about him. The, I'm pretty sure it was a false rumor, but well, there was a, a hot dude who runs a hot dog stand in Toronto who said, you know, Kessel used to come a hot, and get a hot. There was a hot dude who runs a hot dog stand. No, I said a rumor, Joe. You said I yeah, didn't you say said that. there was a hot. Dude. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. You I did. Say run that. the tape. Run the I, tape. I will run the tape. Run the but there's a dude who runs a hot. I dog want you to stand edit it back in. I want you to edit it back in right here. You saying a hot dude who runs a hot dog. Oh, maybe he's an attractive dude. I, there, don't know. I gave you an edit point. There you go. Uh, but no, <laughs> okay. dude who runs a hot dog in Toronto who said Phil Kessel used to come by before every game and grab a couple hot dogs and. He looks like the kind of mm-hmm. guy who would do that, and that's kind of why I love him because he still goes out and he scored like 35, 40 goals a year. Fueled by mystery meat. Nothing wrong with that, Joe. We're, we're, we're off the rails again. What were we talking about? Point there. Uh, U.S. takes cold. That was, your, did you, did you stay up and watch that? You, you did game. stay up and watch that. I did. Right? It was nice. That actually that didn't, that ended at like 11.15 my time. It was that's lovely. actually perfect. It ended around way at 1.15 here, which for me coming home from work yeah. isn't even all that late. But um, yeah. Honestly, my one impression was I saw people tweeting about how, you know, this is the you know, greatest hockey game I've ever seen, you know, stuff like that. What an instant cut. Mm-hmm. I actually, I thought they, that's what that's where I'm getting here. I thought the ending was one of the coolest endings I've ever, like I've probably yeah. ever seen in a hockey game. But I actually didn't think it was that great of a. I, I only watched the third period because that's when I got home from work. Watched third period overtime and shootout. I kind of thought the U.S. Mm-hmm. for the most part dominated play. Uh, it, Canada didn't really generate much offensively. The U.S. pretty much had the better of the play the whole time. They had possession most of the time. Throughout overtime, I thought it was thoroughly dominant by the U.S. I'm, I'm kind of shocked they didn't score, but I didn't really think that it was that. It was a great performance from Team USA. It had a lot of drama. I'm yes. not trying to take. I'm yes. not trying to take away any. It was a fantastic game. I loved watching it. All that stuff, but I, I, I kind of thought it was fairly one sided in favor of Team USA. Yeah, Matt. Uh, I don't know if you know offhand, but three consecutive gold medals was it for Canada? Five. Five concerns. They they might have been going for five. So they were going for five, I believe. So the, there's, I think Denied. there's your reason why, uh, why it might, <laughs> why there's your reason why, you know, you might overstate what the game was because of what was on the line. Yeah, you know, I think that 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 might play into it a little bit. But I was at, uh, a fantastic I, performance I was by the brunch. USA ladies. I was at brunch on Sunday with uh, with my brother, uh, two of my cousins, and uh, my, my cousin's wife, who was brunch indeed, drop, brunch drop. Who is indeed uh, she, she's Canadian. <laughs> so this was after yeah. you know, obviously a couple days after Team USA beat the, the women's team one, and then also after the men's curling team upset Team Canada in the semifinals. And she kind of asked like, "So what are Canadians dark like?" It's like basically how do Canadians feel about this? And she said there was a a headline in one of the Toronto papers like basically saying "worst Olympics ever" with a question mark. Like, it, it, was this the worst Olympic <laughs> well, moments ever you lose, for Canada? Not only did they lose, when you lose, yeah, America, when you lose they, in hockey, they lost when in you, their game. When you lose in hockey, yeah, that's true. When you lose in hockey and curling, that's like losing the Super Bowl twice for Canadians. I, I'm, so I'm saying, that, like, gotta, if they would have lost, you to, like, really Sweden, feel for them. Or if they would have lost to like Sweden or something like that, I, I honestly think it would have been a little a bit deal. easier for them to take. But the fact that they lost to Team USA. I think absolutely kill yeah. them in the inside. That's also, how you Joe, know the Roonies are, are a real are a real hockey family too. You know, you got you got Canadians. We in the got family. a Canadian. That's, there, that's yeah. important. Well, we're, that's we're important. Joe, can I ask you a question about brunch? <laughs> what were you going to say? Brunch question. Always. 
bonus, uh, and mm-hmm. I guess not really. It's, uh, it's my own mailbag. When you go to brunch, are you more of Savory. a breakfast side of brunch or a lunch side of brunch? Or, or does it change based I on the tell- it changes in the mood and the time because I think brunch could start at what, like ten thirty, and brunch goes all the way until like noon. Because then, if you get to that noon hour, that. you're eating lunch. You're eating, yeah. But you, you get into that. Yes, the the meal continues then. Yeah. But you want to start a brunch no later than noon. The further you get past that hour, so you're getting to your uh, to your more lunch burst yeah. items. Maybe yeah. you're. Yeah, yeah, but but my personal brunch, I lean towards breakfast. I'm an egg guy, I, a nice eggs Benedict, uh, a steak and eggs, um, a lovely, a nice avocado toast. But brunch has also evolved into the social setting where it's not even about the food. Like, yeah, you have a little bite and then you drink seven bottles of Andre uh, with like a couple splashes of orange juice in it. Yeah, so it's, it's an excuse to get that. hammered on champagne early in the morning. Exactly. Like, oh, I think I might have. Who wants a bloody? Are we feeling bloody? Yeah, I'll feel bloody. You do one. You do one bloody, followed by seventeen mimosas, and then you watch the final couple holes of the PGA Tour. It's go. a wonderful Sunday. I, I had myself a nice little yeah, legs, that's how, but instead of the Canadian bacon, I had little uh, six ooh. ounce fillets. And now, oh, that's lovely. It that's was lovely. lovely. Joe. It was. I'm, I, I need to. I need to. I, I need to defer to you here, Matt. Sure. I think that you're going to be critical of me on this. Probably. When, when I go Benedict, when I go Benedict, which I do quite often in a brunch setting, it's it's a very safe. I always solid go Hollandaise. I go Hollandaise on the side, though. I'm fine with that. Because if you're going to screw some, okay, if you're going to screw something up in the in the Benedict. One, you're going to screw up the Hollandaise. Two. If it's sitting there waiting for everyone else's food, because when you're brunching, you obviously go with a loop. If it's sitting there, you don't want that hollandaise sitting on your muffins, sitting on your egg. It gets weird. Coagulate. I, I, I like hollandaise. I'm fine with that. Honestly, for the most part, I'm usually a sauce on the side guy, with the exception of you know pasta or stuff really? like that. I with, with like mm-hmm. I'm usually a sauce. I like controlling my own. Let let me choose what I want to do okay. with it. Don't don't put it on there for me. I'll I'll, I'll take charge. I'll, I'll I agree with you. I like now, controlling what now I want to do. Now just to make you. Because because we're agreeing too much here, just to piss you off, sure. I'm going to restate the fact that I'm the same way. Except when it comes to French fries, I cover my fries. I don't dip. Ah, uh, that's and a I know I'm, I'm, a, in, the, I'm in the minority. Of, it's a little I'm bit in, of a psychopath minority. move. I'm not going to get mad at you for it, but <laughs> I'm also going to tell you that you're it wrong. Like, so I I do that to my French fries, and I write in all block letters. So I'm on some sort of FBI list somewhere. Yeah, you somebody needs to start tracking you. Hopefully the the nice FBI agent who's NSA agent who's listening in on this podcast right now has, yeah. your, has your name written down. Guys, I promise I'm not a threat. I just I'm just a creature of habit. I don't don't know. don't listen to him. He is. Oh, goodness. Well, we were talking about hockey there for a second, Matt. Well, uh, we Black started Hawk. talking brunch, and then I <laughs> <laughs> we get we get you know we get taken by ourselves a little bit there. We do. Um, it was, it was, but it was uh, let's jump back in. What do you make of this uh, this Ryan Hartman move by the Blackhawks? I mean, if Ryan Hartman was a nice player, and he was he was restricted free agent at the end of the year. He's probably going to sign back for cheap. Dude, who had some some upside. Uh, he was he brought you some bottom. Bottom six type grit with a little bit of finish, but I don't think he had the speed the Blackhawks wanted, or necessarily the ability to finish that the Blackhawks thought he did. Um, he, he did a good job getting it himself into the right spots, but he he was a little bit of a hothead at times, took some bad penalties, and just his upside I don't think was worth what they wanted to do, especially when you had a team like Nashville calling and giving them the return that they were willing to give them. They gave him a first round pick, 
a fourth round pick and a prospect that clearly the Hawks must like a little bit. Um, so I, I think it's a great return. If you look around the league, some of the people shipped out for a lot less. Uh, I think getting that back for Ryan Hartman for a guy who's probably never going to crack the top six in a you know NHL Stanley Cup winning team without some serious talent around him, I, I think it's a great move. I think they kind of didn't have to do it, but I can totally see why they did. I, I would have been able to see why they would have kept him, but I, I was I was on board with moving him when I saw that return. It's tough to move to a division rival, yeah, but it, it, it's a you lot back. The, it's a return you can't say no to. Yeah, you get the return you want in the situation that you are right now. You don't really have to worry about seeing him in the playoffs and being competitive with him, but is it a failed project on the Hawks' end? Were there higher hopes for Ryan Hartman? You know, I think there were, but I don't think the hopes were all that much higher. Uh, I think he was always kind of seen as a, you know, bottom six forward with, who brought some energy, who did have a little bit of scoring touch. I mean, he kind of played that role even in, you know, the World Juniors when he played for Team USA. More of, you know, a net front guy in the power play, but didn't possess all that much skill in the world, wasn't terribly fast. So I, I think they, they mm-hmm. probably turned out to be a little bit less of what they hoped. But he's kind of right in the ballpark of what they thought he might be. And I, I'm okay with selling on him just because he was going to require, again, a new deal at the end of this year. Granted, it wouldn't have been that much. But this also, getting this first-round pick, ha- having two of those, and the first one the Hawks are going to have is going to be relatively high. This gives them some flex, some flexibility. If they got a guy, say they get the eighth pick in the draft or whatever you want to call it, if they see a guy at number three, they now have more assets that if they want to go and try and trade up for that pick, they can't. Yeah, um, a couple other moves going on in the chat earlier in the week uh, or yesterday was uh, the haul for Evander Kane. Yeah, so it, actually the the haul for Evander Kane was the same Fun. exact haul for Ryan Hartman. I think the, the Hawks same got haul the, uh, in Harvard, yeah. the Hawks actually got a prospect out of it too. Um, I believe Evander yeah. Kane's a, a, an unrestricted free agent though at the end of the year. Uh, if not at the end okay. of this year, the end of next. So he's a little bit more of a, a rental type, uh, which might be why Hartman's price is a little more expensive. He, he's a guy who you can resign, but he's a guy who I believe from you know, reports really, and all that stuff, he, he never really fit in well in Buffalo, didn't get along with a lot of people there. It's a bad attitude, yeah. And, and I, that, that attitude is exactly why I think he's going to be a guy who's going to want to try and go test his market on the open value and see what he can get before just settling for mm-hmm. what a team's going to try and offer him. So I, I do see him as a little bit yeah. more of a rental type, whereas Ryan Hartman, well, he's, he's a restricted free agent, so he's still kind of under team control. He's not going to be terribly expensive for Nashville, who has some, who's going to have some some contracts coming up here in the next couple of years. They need to start being a little bit more cost-efficient going forward. But yeah. if I, I may, uh, uh, Tampa Bay has pretty much with what they may. did at the deadline. Tampa Bay has absolutely emerged. If they weren't already, which a lot of people had them, they are – the odds-on favorite, or if they're not, they should be, to win the Stanley Cup, adding a top-pairing, legitimate top-pairing defenseman, Ryan McDonough, and a bottom-six type forward in JT Miller, who absolutely can score. Um, they, they did an absolutely great job at the deadline. I think they hit a home run. Outstanding, Matt. Well, that yeah. was Matt's hockey... Couple minutes. Three, four, five minutes? Couple. Yeah, Matt's we'll few, a couple. Matt's, Matt's few minutes. A couple, two, three minutes. Yeah. Matt's few minutes. I liked it. Uh, why don't you roll the music? I got a grievance. All right. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points 
and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, I don't want to delve into it too deeply because I don't really know all of the details on it yet. But my grievance is once again with the NCAA. And this past week, um, it came out uh, in, in, I I don't know who initially reported it. I think it was ESPN. But uh, Sean Miller was wiretapped speaking to... Uh, a fixer for an agent about paying a player in excess of $100,000 to secure his spot at Arizona. And this is something that is serious. This is something that we know is going on. This is something that we know is going on outside of Arizona. Many, many places this is happening. My issue is not with the fact that Miller was called out. My issue is the fact that just Miller was called out. Now, this is an FBI investigation and it's far spread. But I think that for Sean Miller's sake and for fans' sake and for everybody's sake, there needed to be a comprehensive investigation that happened with a litany of names, everyone who's implicated before it hits the news. This is now going to come out in a trickle, and we're going to have to deal with it over the next six months and it's going to be the biggest story and it's going to lead ESPN and it's going to be deflate gate in the sense that we're all going to be sick and tired of it because we all know what's happening. I'm not underplaying. I'm not downplaying the fact that there is an issue and there is that systemic change needs to happen in the NCAA. You know me, I'm not calling for players to get paid, but I am calling for some sort of change in, in the current format. My biggest issue, my grievance, is with the fact that you're pointing the finger at one guy when you know that there are hundreds of individuals that are implicated, that are guilty, and that are doing things the wrong way. I think it needed to be a more comprehensive news dump to, to not just put one face on this issue, and I feel like that that's kind of the way things happen this week. And it's just going to, I think, the tabloid, uh, the, the, the tabloid-type fashion that this is going to release in, where it's going to be name, couple weeks name, couple weeks name, and the way that things are going to shake down isn't going to be good for the NCAA, isn't going to be good for these players, and it's not going to move you forward into making any changes. It's just going to move you forward into having more official statements from the NCAA offices, and then nothing's going to happen. It's going to be next football season, next basketball season, and we're just going to have to deal with it the way it is again. This isn't inciting any sort of change. I want to see the full comprehensive investigation by the FBI come down at once and then make your change. Yeah. I I, I just don't, I just don't see anything happening coming from this other than a guy losing his job at Arizona. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of it. Sean Miller's not going to coach. I mean, there's Deandre Ayton still playing, so it's not like anything's really changing much on that front. I just, I don't really get. How do you punish a player for taking the money? Does he become ineligible to play for your team? And then how does that affect his draft stock, or how does that affect his well, eligibility I'll say right now, even that for the NBA? None of like his draft stock, the NBA exactly, does not care about exactly. It. There are guys, and I hate that Lonzo Ball came out and said it, but there are guys on every single roster who were riding around in Dodge Chargers, wearing gold chains, you know, buying nice dinners in college. Where where's that money coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, and and we've turned a blind eye blind eye to it. And if that's the way you want to run things, if that's the way things are going to go, then turn your blind eye to it. But 
I, I don't think that's the answer either. So no, I, I don't either, and I, I'm not going to pretend like I know how to you know fix this issue. Yeah, there, there is does no need quick to be fix. A, there's no quick fix. There, there does need to be some sort of change, and I know some people are saying. You know, people should be able to benefit off their likeness, but even there, like I, that was I, my that was my solution. Is I, you just pull the image and likeness clause? Obviously, they lose their amateurism, but Baker Mayfield, Lonzo Ball, um, see, Porter the, the, Jr., all these guys can go out, sign the autographs, come home to a thousand dollar check. You know, do your thing. The only thing with me is that one issue, and I, I do think that's the most logical issue. But for me, also, I, I do I do think that makes it more, even more of an uneven playing field in terms of recruiting because mm-hmm. you will have these schools like Duke, like North Carolina, like Ohio, whatever, in, in football, you know, Ohio State, Texas, where they will have more opportunities to get you, you know, so many things sold. And then you'll start having under-the-table promises, you know, we're going to put you know, your jersey on, you know, whatever for so-and-so long and we'll promise you we'll give you money for so-and-so many jerseys sold, whatever. You'll have schools who have unfair advantages, I think, in promoting these players who have more money. And that's, I guess, my biggest thing is they need to figure out a way to do this while keeping, not that recruiting's a, a terribly level playing field at the moment, but as level as it is right now. Uh, and Ooh. I don't know if there's a way to do that. I don't. And if it's not possible, I'd, I'd rather See, go I, like I, this route. But I, you get what I'm saying here is I, I do think that there's – Yeah, but I, I, I diverge from you a little bit there in saying that there already are built-in um, incongruencies. There already is a built-in shift in power where there is no level field in recruiting. That's fair. Uh, Missis- Mississippi Valley State is not going to get a guy that can Kentucky can get. You know, North Carolina – Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas. There's your level playing field. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, it's not a level playing field. That's fair. Maybe UCLA, throw in a couple more names, but it's already uneven. And I think that that imbalance is going to remain no matter how you do this. You know, as long as the pot of money, if you're going to allot a certain salary cap to these teams now, is the same for every team, there's your level playing field. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, and I don't I, know. There's I, just, it's just a big, it's a big issue that's going to take a ton of solutions. And I don't feel that anyone is giving solutions. They're just pointing at the problem over and over and over. And I guess that was the grievance that I was trying yeah, to get. No, I, and I totally think you're right. It's a bunch of people saying we have a problem and not a lot of, you know, doing anything to solve it. And they can, the NCAA yeah. can punish whoever they want to, but it's not going to stop anything. People are going to keep doing this and then eventually they'll take their punishment when they have to. But if titles are vacated, wins are vacated, coaches and people don't care about that stuff because it, it, it'll happen so far down the road. They've still, you know, made their money off benefiting from mm-hmm. that. They've kind of gotten their new contracts. And so what if a banner has to be taken down or the official record book says you didn't win? We touched on this last week. It says an official yeah. record book, you know, says you didn't win a title. If, if you win that title, your legacy cemented, nobody's going to care if 10 years down the road they said they figured out you slipped a kid a $100 bill under a table one time. Yeah. And I'd like to formally announce my uh, I'm I'm surrendering my amateurism to go pro. This oh. is my formal announcement. Congratulations! So, I did that a while ago. Yeah, I'm just breaking some news here on the Moose and Moose podcast. What sport? Uh, we're not going to nail it down yet. Why? No, why that's fair. You no, know, you want to keep your options. You know, yeah, and I might do like a Deion Sanders thing, like play center field in the afternoon, and then like go pick passes off in the evening or something. Oh, there like you that. go. Yeah, well, you you were more yeah. of a pass catcher, Joe. Yeah, we want to keep uh, we want to keep our options open here. Oh, that's fair. I like that. Can I be your agent? Buy or, buy or sell? No, I have one. Buy or sell? Sure. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll lead us off here, Matt. Three years, fifty-four million dollars, 
for Blake Bortles service Bortles, buying or selling the Jags, paying their guy? Oh, I'm buying it big time. I think it, I know he wasn't uh, an elite quarterback by any means this year, but with what that team does and how they play, I think he's a perfect quarterback for that system. I think you saw he was terrible against Buffalo, but I think you saw him going to New England and he put together a very good first half until the offense got a little bit conservative. I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. certain you can blame him for that. I think he does exactly what you want. It's a lot of money, but compared to what other quarterbacks are getting and what he would have gotten if they let him go next, let him go into next year on you know the last year of his deal and had a big year, uh, they might have saved themselves you know twenty not twenty like ten some million dollars. So I, I think it's a great yeah. deal. I think he's perfect for that team. It's a lot of money, but it's still a fairly cost effective deal for a quarterback who has shown he's capable of getting you to an AFC Championship game and maybe even more down the road. Yeah, I think. I think all these front offices see market value for quarterbacks really increasing over the next three or four years, and they want to lock their guys in. They're making their decisions now, whether it be um, the Giants or the pardon me, the 49ers with Garoppolo. Um, now Jacksonville signing on for another three years with Blake Bortles. Uh, I in Blake Bortles, and I'm going to give him some credit here because, like you said, he had some good games. He managed games. I see Joe Flacco without a deep ball. I see a guy who just needs to manage the game, not turn it over, maybe throw one touchdown pass a game, throw for 100-and-something yards, let Leonard Fournette be your offense and win win championships, win divisions with that defense. You know, yeah. He is the right guy for what they want to do. You don't need a big arm. You don't need a guy who's going to take chances. You need a Blake Bortles, and yeah, I, you, I agree with you. I think they made the right decision. Exactly. I mean, it's it's the Giants mold that you know Tom Coughlin built in New York. It, it's it, He's very similar to what Eli Manning does, except he doesn't turn the ball over quite as much as Eli. Um, yeah. He's going to be able to manage games. He's going to be able to not shoot you in the foot. He's going to be perfectly cool with turning around, handing the ball off to his running back letting his defense flip the field for you and manage the game well and make some big throws when he has to, but not be relied on pretty much all the time to do that. Yeah. What are you doing right, over there? Me. Are you chopping something? What was that noise? No, I was, just, I was walking around. What do you mean chopping something? Well, you, it sounded like you were chopping something, like on a cutting board. I'm not chopping anything. You might have had my I – got, I got the wireless – I got the Bluetooth headset on right now, so it might be rubbing on the, uh, the scruff a little bit. Well, be more careful. I apologize. Thank you. <laughs> Joe, uh, buy or sell Michael Porter Jr., the uh, the freshman phenom, or supposedly freshman phenom. Who the, the alleged, the alleged, the, the alleged whatever you want to call him, guy was supposed to be suffered that back injury. Um, I think it was for two minutes into their first game. He was beginning of the year, the consensus number one mm-hmm. pick. Now he's kind of fallen back a little bit because of that injury. Buy or sell NBA teams should take a risk on Michael Porter Jr. in the top five. I'm buying it. Um and I know prior to the podcast we talked and I said, uh, has, has the name Kyrie Irving ever rung a bell for you? And, and you compared a foot injury, ankle injury to a back injury. Do you know, I mean, I, I guess I'm not really terribly in tune with how the extent of the back injury. Yes, it's held him out for the entirety of the season, but is that more of a business decision or is that uh, the severity of the injury? Because I know he was warming up the other night. He had the short shorts going. He was looking good. So I believe it was severity because he was just, uh, I want to say last week it was, he was finally cleared for, you know, full contact and stuff. So yeah. that, that, that's when I first started seeing announcements. So I believe it was severity. Now the, the injury from what I, I understood was more because he, I think he took like a knee or something to the back and it, it kind of got hit wrong. It wasn't like a non-contact back injury where, yeah. he, you know, tweaked something that way. So that it was I, actually, there's, yeah, yeah it was actually contact, impact, whatever you want. I, I do think that has some effect to it. 
which is why I think I'd be okay with it. But back injuries are like no other injury. They tend to be more chronic, kind of no matter what they are, stick around with you. So it's definitely a risk. I think I'd take it in the top five, but it also kind of depends on what team I am. Yeah, if we're talking top five, I still think he goes in the top five because there really is no consensus, number one, um, at least, you know, in my I think you got two guys. Very, who have, very academic summation of it. I think you got two guys who are going in the top two. You have a guy in Trey mm-hmm. Young who has a chance to vault himself up there, but I think he's kind of playing himself out of it. But I think mm-hmm. after those top two, three, it could you could see Michael Porter Jr. go three. You could see him go ten. I think there's there's that much of a talent cluster kind of in those second tier lottery guys. Yep, yeah, and they're and they're different type players too. I, I think it all boils down to. The NBA is definitely a best available league, but there are teams with needs. And when you're looking at the bottom tier of the NBA, those eight teams all vying for those ping those uh, ping pong balls. I think that if you know you're one of the top or the bottom four teams picking, you're in good shape no matter what. So uh, I don't know how that leads me to believe. I don't know how important a full on tank is. Um, I'm witnessing a very unintentional tank here in Sacramento right now. They're still trying to win basketball games. It's just not working out for them. So um, I think that that's the ideal formula right now is not to come out a la uh, Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks and say we're tanking or 76ers in years past, you know, put it in the garbage can. But, um, you know, let's just go out there, play some basketball and see where we are six weeks, seven weeks from now. No, I'm with you. We're we're witnessing something similar here, but it's a little bit more – intentional a little bit more intentional all right all right matt well uh, i got one more for you here buy or sell um not fully and i'm not gonna obviously the reason i'm asking this question is because sam darnold came out and said he will not throw Mm. at the nfl combine but just as a whole buy or sell guys not fully participating at the combine with the caveat of healthy guys buy or sell healthy guys not fully participating in the combine 100 percent fine with it um, it, it's, if they don't, if they like where their stocks at, you're a guy like Sam Darnold, you don't really need to prove anything at this point because you're not falling outside of the top 10, no matter what happens. People have seen a big enough sample size of you in college. And if you don't think, you know, you throwing your receivers in shorts and, you know, an under armor are, are worth it, then I can't really blame you because I, I don't think, well, well, people take note of what happens at the combine. I don't think it's, it's either way going to be a big enough positive for him to, to vault him that far up. So I, I don't see a, a downside. Sure. You maybe want to say, you know, be a competitor and, you know, step up in a big time, you know, important when all the mm-hmm. eyes are on you. But at the same time, he's done that at USC. He's done that in bigger moments. And I, if he thinks he's shown everything he needs to, I have no problem with it. You got to look out yeah. for yourself before you, once you're drafted, you become a team guy. But until that process, until your name's called by somebody, you got to do what's best for you. I, I agree with that, but I agree with that in the sense that, I think that if you're at the combine, you fully participate. You have, you have every right to not go to the combine. If you feel like you're in a good spot, why do you guys need to see my broad jump? Why do you guys need to see my 40? Why do you need to see me throw the football? You know who I am. You went to my pro day. You have 100 hours of film on me. Why not just not go to the combine? I support guys who don't want to participate in the combine because of their draft stock. But once you're there, do it all. I'm going to sit out of throwing. What are you trying to hide? That's what it makes me feel like. When he's not, he's, okay, I'll go run the 40, but then you can't watch me throw the football. What's wrong with your arm? It raises more questions for me. 
That's also fair, but I guess my counter to that is you go to the combine because that's where most of these interviews take place with teams. Yeah. And I think it gives you a chance to sit down, get to know some people, you know, some GMs, some coaches and all that. Quite honestly, they'll ask you about that and you'll have your opportunity to address it to them. And as much as we like to think that, you know, fans and, and people are owed an explanation from these players, the only people that are actually owed the explanation from Sam Darnold why he's not throwing is the team that is considering drafting him. Yep. And uh, it's like, like going in and taking them. It's like I'll only be taking the verbal portion of the test today. I will not be taking the written portion. Oh, I wish we could have done that. <laughs> right? Did you have any verbal yeah. tests in college, Joe? Um, verbal tests. At, I think more in grad school. Like things are a lot more verbal. But um, oh, cool college. guy went to grad I don't really, school. I don't really remember college. So <laughs> college was fun. College was fun. Okay. Moving on. Got off the rails Moving again. On. Uh, what was the last? <laughs> oh. Um, Joe, you're, you're right around a month in California, right? Yeah. Just a little bit over, we're, maybe? We're think you, think you described month, it as, see, moved, as a month and some change? month and some change. I moved the 14th, I think, was my first day here. Can, so. I, can I ask you, Joe, are, are you buying or are you selling the California lifestyle? Because there's always a lot to be said about it. Some people love it. Some people say, you know, I'd rather visit than, than live there. So you, you're buying or selling California? I am very much buying the California lifestyle. Um, I, have already, I have already been... Uh, I don't want to say taken to task, but I've already been approached over the pace at which I walk. People at work think I run when I walk like through the, through the newsroom. Um, so I think that's the only drawback is that people are aware of the pace that I'm in that because people do move a little slower out here. So you're but clear the weather's, the, the, I'm a clear outside. I stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, the weather's been fantastic. Um, the region of California in Northern California, I mean, there is so much to do. I've already been over to out to San Francisco. It's an hour and 15 minutes, um, hour 10 into Oakland. If you want to watch a golden state game, Yosemite national park is an hour and a half the other way. I can't wait to see the redwoods. I got to go see the redwoods. Um, I I am a big national national parks are, are always beautiful. You know, taking a little nature Lake Tahoe is another hour and a half. Uh, Napa Valley's forty-five minutes. So just you strike me you as know, a big Napa Valley guy. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do Napa a few yeah, times. You're gonna we're do gonna Napa, Napa a few times. Just the fact that all of those things are right here at the fingertips, and, and people are taking advantage of them. When you're in Chicago, there's there's plenty to do, and out in Chicago, I'll always be home. And there's you know I lived there for twenty-five years, and until the last weekend was finding new things to do. But once you get out of Chicago, like if you want to travel somewhere, like. Bloomington is the next closest thing, or hey, Denver. Fine. Don't sell like, Bloomington there's nothing to, short. I know, but attraction, location, destination-wise, it's always a flight from Chicago. Here, you can True. get around um, in the California area, and uh, it's been great. I, I mean, I haven't I actually did. We saw a couple flurries of snow yesterday, but uh, woke up to 50 degree weather, so it, it's nothing to people freaking out, like driving with their hazards on. Yeah, so um, I, yesterday I guess, because there was a little precipitation. But I'm buying. I, I'm buying the California lifestyle. So I guess when am I just when am I going to get invited? I guess is my question. So kind of waiting. On that. Matt, you know, as my podcast partner, you have an open invite. Yeah, I'll but make like, key I'm not going to show key. up on the door at the door. I need. You know, I'd like to be invited. Feel wanted. Uh, I apologize that my first month of employment with CBS, I haven't had the time to block out a week for you, Matt. I've been well, a little you, tied man. up. I appreciate that. That means a lot. I'm I'm glad you're finally admitting a fault. (laughs) But yeah, the California life's been fantastic. 
uh, any and all are, are welcome. Um, well, yeah. Maybe when we head out there for the uh, for the bachelor party in June, I'll, I'll I'll block out a day or two at the the beginning or the end there. We'll uh, we'll hit. Yeah, the you could uh, make good on that uh, free round of golf bet. Yeah. Oh yeah, Pebble Beach, two and a half hours south. Like it's all right here. It's all right here. Yeah, I'm just gonna say no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll I'll make a call to my guy Chris Dahlhammer. He's the superintendent over there. Who I oh, can uh, can uh, can Dahlhammer get, get us a discounted rate there? See if we can get a see if we get a couple free free go arounds. Yeah, if you track. get a, if you get a free round from Dahlhammer, then that'll be my uh, that'll be my gift to you. My my, my round purchase. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, perfect. deal. Uh, do you have one more? I don't know. Do no. I? That's it. I think that's it. We went off the rails a little there at the end again. This has been a very yeah. off the rails podcast. I think we we've we've let it go a little bit a couple times. Yeah. Couple you know, two feeling good. I think uh, I think maybe you know you're getting a little nice, uh, little nice weather back there in Chicago. Feeling Joe, a little it free is a be- it is a beautiful day here. If I didn't have it to is. work this afternoon and the golf course was open, I'd have driven up to Lost Dunes already. Uh, I was going to say that uh, you know you go out they, there maybe you know support your local track up there at uh, Joe, uh, at the I, harbor, I, the Diversity Harbor. What's Joe, that, um, I, Joe, I got my I got my track. Okay. What's the I know? What's the local? What's the little nine hole? Uh, um, Maravitz. Not Chick Evans. Yeah, I think I'm good. Get up to Maravitz. Hit seventy three pitching wedges. I. <laughs> I think honestly, oh, I could goodness. go like ten cup on that course and just say, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, give I'll me hit the seven. The, I'll hit the seven all day. You don't need anything else, and I'll still <laughs> probably go out and break like fifty. Goodness. All right, Matt. Well, uh, I think we're we've just about unhinged here. So uh, uh, you want to shut bit. us down? Sure. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. I'm going to take another time to just talk a little bit of hockey here. Talk a little Blackhawks in my shutdown because it's my default, my go-to when I don't have anything else. Um, <laughs> The, the, the Blackhawks have obviously hit a rough stretch here, and at the, at the trade deadline have pretty much announced that they're throwing in the towel for the rest of the year, and I, I think that's okay, but I also think that the people calling for jobs in panic mode and all that need to, you know, say full rebuild, blow everything up, need to take a step back. Um, I, I still think if you look at this team, they're in a great position going forward. I know they have some big money tied up, but they also have the ability to have a lot of cap space this summer if they can ship out a guy like Artem Anisimov. They'll have about $20 million in cap space to play around with, which the Hawks I don't think have had in recent memory or even close to that. Um, and I also think the, the calling for jobs of, of Joel and Stan need to be a little bit uh, taken aback a little bit here. I, I think both of them have done the best with what they've had so far to an extent, and I, I defy anybody to go to the playoffs in the central division without a a player as valuable as Corey Crawford to your team, you know, for, for half the season, uh, they were dealt a bad hand. And I think in any other division in hockey, they'd be in the playoffs right now. I think it was somebody was saying before the Columbus game on Saturday night, if they were in the Eastern conference, they'd be three points out of the last playoff spot. That's with the play, the the schedule that they played this year, which is incredibly difficult. So I I think you look at where they're at. The the central division isn't getting much worse, but I think the Hawks have a lot of room to grow and they have a lot of young players coming up and and Nick Schmaltz and Alex Dabrinkit guys like that who are are cost controlled. They have some opportunities to go out and make some big change this summer. So give those guys a little bit of a chance. Uh, Let's not, let's not punt on everything yet. Let's not talk about the demise of the Blackhawks because I still think there's, there's some room to grow here, but that's all I got, Joe. Just wanted to, it's my state of the union, my, my Blackhawks state of the union. I think, I think we needed that. We Uh, we can't, uh, 
can't lose our minds here. We're like no. the just play the Will Ferrell clip in, in old school. Yeah, but I'll, keep I'll cool. Start hitting chairs against lockers. Nobody keep freak out. Freaking out. We don't out need anybody freaking out out there. Exactly. You get it. All right. Well, uh, you know, it was obviously not the season you hoped for, but uh, you, you can't. Plenty you of can't talent. Lose plenty Corey of seasons Crawford ahead. For, you know, fifty games. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. It's gonna be and, tough. Uh, it's a shame, but uh, you see how valuable a guy like that is when he's not there. Yeah, I, I've completely. By the way, I've talked myself into the Blackhawks signing John Tavares this summer. Um, he's the Perfect. he's the big time free agent. He is yeah, he's easily a top ten player in the NHL, and I don't think he's leaving the Islanders. But if the Hawks trade uh, trade an Eastmoff, they have the cap space, and I, in my own brain, even though I know it's not going to happen, completely talk myself into it happening. So I'm a little bit delusional. Now. Beautiful. It's fun. Well, I'm on board with it then too. All right. So the Hawks are back. We just fixed it. Right. We just fixed them. <laughs> All right, Matter. Well, that's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 45. We hope you enjoyed the pod. As always, jump on Twitter, jump on iTunes, wherever we are. Matt, are we on Google Play now? Is that a thing? We are, we are on Google Play now. Yeah, we, we've We're on added Google a Play now for, for all you Google players out there. So uh, um, congratulations to us on that. I um, think so. I think big, congratulations. Big moves. Moves right there, Matt. Congratulations to you. Gave a great work, and keeping one, us as visible as possible. One thing before we set out here, we're, we're what five away from fifty now. We have five more. That's, let's start. That's let's good start. Math. That's yeah. I I did go to did go to school. Um, <laughs> let's let, let's get some people. Let's offer up some ideas. Give us some some things you like, don't like. Maybe want us to do something special in episode fifty. Let's let's start getting some some ideas flowing for maybe a, a special episode fifty. A little bit of a, an anniversary special. I like that, will, Joe. Let's get the people going. Let's get them talking a little bit. Because that'll uh, also big, be right big, that'll be right around one year as well. Big five oh. Big five oh. I say uh, we go big time mailbag. Uh, big time mailbag like episode. That. We're gonna need we're gonna need the help from the viewers because we do it for the viewers. So start now. Uh, we're gonna start back uh, back stocking some some mailbag yeah, questions. Send them in. Send them all in. I forget the, to send the out serious... the tweets just about every week, but please remember to tweet them at me. <laughs> From the serious to the silly, we want it all because we appreciate you guys. That's going to do it for the Moose and Roots podcast, episode 45. Have a blessed week, everyone. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was... Awesome! <laughs> Chicken Old Steak was phenomenal.